Hey everyone, welcome back to the Agent Daily Dose podcast. Today, you just get me. It's just me, Delroy's ripping around town, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. So today, I got to sit down with the one, the only, Jonathan Spears, down in Destin, Florida, the Panhandle, and he is an absolute legend. You definitely, definitely wanna grab a notebook for this. I have uh, been someone who is very, very fortunate to have learned from Jonathan for the past three or four years in my business, and I can absolutely with confidence say I would not be where we are in the career we have chosen residential real estate without Jonathan's guidance and expertise. He is someone who absolutely deserves your attention and respect, and uh, I trust me, you're going to get a lot of info out of this podcast. Just a couple of housekeeping items before we get into it. Remember to head over to agentdailydose.com for all of our tips, tricks, insights, playbooks, top producer roadmaps, and our course on how to use social media to become a top producing agent in your marketplace. We are already seeing some amazing feedback just in the first couple of weeks of the new year with agents implementing this in their teams, in their individual practices, even in their brokerage levels, and and really creating some value for clients, creating balance in their lives, and even in this crazy, crazy market we're all in, uh, seems to be something that we are experiencing at a higher rate in terms of success in residential real estate. So agentdailydose.com for that. As well, feel free to share this podcast. We are just kind of starting out here. This is only the, I think, 14th episode. And so if you would not mind, leave us a rating, a review, share it with a friend. Uh, We're trying to get into the masses and really shape the way residential real estate is done. Uh, We're sharing not only behind the scenes stuff, things that are not often found in other podcasts, but We're going to be bringing on guests from time to time who are high power players in this space, uh, people who we have had the benefit of learning from over time. So if you're getting any value out of Agent Daily Dose, either the program or the podcast, we would love a rating, review, or a share. Helps us tremendously. With that, let's kick things off with Jonathan Spears. Again, take some notes, people. Welcome, everybody. Today, we are joined by the one and only Jonathan Spears of the Spears Group down in Destin, Florida. This man is an absolute legend and someone I am happy to call a dear friend. Um, I've learned a lot from over the years, and I know you guys will, too, just tuning into this episode. Um, So, you know, as we jump into things, Jonathan, I'd love for you to give a quick intro about yourself. Um, I'll just give a few highlights. Last year, uh, this gentleman and his team closed $265 million in sales volume uh, down in the, 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 the coastal panhandle of Florida. Um, they are number one in their market, have been number one for, I think, what, three, four years, something like that, Jonathan? Five, Stu. Five, five years running, number one in their market and, uh, and doing some really innovative stuff, especially uh, as I see it from a, from a secondary vacation, et cetera, market standpoint. And uh, Jonathan, thank you for joining us today. Um, if you would, just introduce yourself, man, and, and let the people know who you are, what you got going on. Yeah, Stuart, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Uh, you and Delroy are my go-to in Denver and really gateway to Colorado in general. So um, my team and I are based on the Emerald Coast of Florida, Destin 30A uh, corridor. We're on a white sand beach, which we've been extremely thankful for. But 
Uh, even more so during this pandemic, we are within driving distance to a third of the United States in one day. So we get a lot of influx from folks that can hop in their car. They feel like they can safely social distance in our area and still enjoy the naturalistic surroundings. Uh, we primarily focus on uh, vacation homes, second home market. I'd say 99% of my business uh, are with folks that do not live here, um, which is both very rewarding and also challenging. So we can dig into that. And I operate a team of 10. So I've got uh, myself plus uh, five other agents as well as four administrative staff members. I love it. Well, actually, you know, one, one thing about the, the trends in real estate right now, I think a lot of the, the big massive teams are, are, are kind of getting more and more amplified, right? There's more in the news about the kind of big team model growth and you have, right. you know, folks like EXP and, uh, and even, you know, Keller Williams doing some different things now with just trying to attract these massive teams. We, we back in Denver also follow kind of a small boutique model, um, can you speak to that a little bit, Jonathan? And kind of, I, I know, knowing you from the last couple of years, 10 is actually, I think, the most amount of people that have been on your team. I mean, you were, you were still number one with, what, four or five people. Um, yeah. Now you're at 10, uh-huh. which for, you know, doing the volume you do is still very small and boutique. Um, can you speak to the power of a small team and, and kind of that boutique model? Yeah, absolutely. Well, a lot of the mega teams that you see today are primarily uh, brokerages within a brokerage, right? They operate as their own businesses. Um, for us, you know, we're, we've really laid the foundation for a model like that, but um, we're very selective because the most important thing for the Spears Group is not necessarily production, but it's company culture. Uh, it's funny you even asked right now, uh, the team collectively were reading a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And so it's been interesting to kind of peel back the layers of each individual, primarily to figure out, okay, what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? And as a team, are we all moving in the same direction? Because that's ultimately the goal. We can do more with each other uh, as opposed to individually. And for me, uh, you know, just a little bit of background, I'm 29. Uh, I've been selling real estate since I was 18. So I got in the business immediately coming out of college. Um, I was fortunate to uh, get into college early. So I had my bachelor's degree in business and finance uh, right when I turned 19 and had been working in real estate for about a year at the time. Um, But I really started to come into my own in the market as an individual agent. And what I realized uh, becoming a top producer and eventually becoming the top agent in the market was that my time was very limited. Uh, and when I first started the Spears Group was when I found out I was having our, our daughter and um, I was 24 um, and just couldn't get to every customer that I had. I couldn't service everyone. And as salespeople, we wanna do everything ourselves. You know, I don't know if anybody else can relate to, to knowing that you can do it better than somebody else. And for me as a leader, I had to kind of back away from that and figure out, okay, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And what is the best use of my time? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I hired an assistant and uh, ultimately doubled my business year over year. So I remember joining Sotheby's in, in 2015. So I would have been 22 going on 23. That first year at Sotheby's, I did about 47 million, which was double the year prior. And so, you know, very young guy coming into uh, a a large company, the most dominant company in our market, 
uh, with uh, a notable brand like Sotheby's International Realty. And to be able to double my business was really an amazing thing. But what I learned was to delegate. And that's how I was able to grow. So bringing on an assistant that following year, 23 to 24, I was able to do 72 million. And that year I was the, the number one agent in the market overall. Um, and that was the year that I had an assistant just about the full year. Um, and from there, just continued to, to, to grow um, to, to our most recent year, 2020, which was unbelievable. We also doubled our business from 2019 and did 265 million collectively as a team, which we're extremely proud of with ultimately, you know, four or five agents. Unbelievable numbers and an un unbelievable trajectory. One thing I, I want to hone in on that I don't think is spoken about enough is so the you're, you're a young guy, but you've actually been doing this for, for quite a while, over a decade. And you have kind of methodically grown your business one pillar at a time. Um, you know, what I'm hearing from that is you, you hired an assistant, you had he or she for, for kind of a year, and then the next year you, you really pushed that, honed that in, and, and became the number one agent in your marketplace. But you weren't necessarily expanding willy-nilly trying to get agents at that time or trying to just kind of collect the the probably what you could have capitalized on at that time which is the interest in your brand the interest in you as an individual agent um and start some massive team or 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 what have you you kept it boutique and you kept it with people who uh align with your strengths and probably align with your weaknesses as well and help support those things um so did you in those times know that you would bring on other agents or was this kind of a hey i'm i'm getting to to be where I, you know, I, maybe I never thought I would be so quickly. And, and now I just have to reassess. Yeah. Well, you know, you kind of started with an early part of uh, my career, which for me, it's be interesting to talk about just knowing our audience, you know, how did I even get to, to Sotheby's? Cause I didn't start out at Sotheby's. Um, so in order to kind of like think about how did I get to a team growth mindset, I started out working on a team essentially as a new agent. So I came into the market in 2010, uh, which was arguably the worst time to enter the real estate market in Northwest Florida. Uh, if you can think back to 2010, um, it was just after the financial crash of 2008. Um, we were at an all-time high of foreclosures. We had a live stream of oil pumping out into the Gulf of Mexico from the BP oil spill, which was on every major news network throughout the day. Um, and so I remember that's the year I decided to get a license. Um, I spent my entire 18th birthday studying for the test and um, got it uh, promptly thereafter. But the way that I was able just to, to get a base knowledge was by joining a team. And so I got involved with um, uh, a company that was doing short sales, foreclosures, distressed inventory, which at the time was the only inventory that was transacting. Um, and what was fascinating about it is they were very complicated transactions. Uh, you know, my business today focuses more on the luxury side of real estate and the management of those types of deals are nothing like the management of an REO or of a short sale or of a HUD home where I had to have wet blue ink signatures with bank specific documents and to be able to articulate that and, you know, get somebody across the finish line on a, on a transaction like that. So it, it was interesting to just get that base level of knowledge and not only to get that base level of knowledge from a team environment where I can learn from others, but also, um, you know, learning from their failure as well. 
so I spent the first two to three years of my career working mostly as an assistant, uh, a licensed assistant, being able to do transactions on the side, but also doing broker price opinions. So what I learned was, okay, what do I like about a team dynamic? Why did that agent choose to have a team dynamic? And you know, what about that team dynamic could I apply to the luxury real estate sector? And for, for us in our business today, the most important thing is customer service. You know, there's uh, an abundance of buyers right now. There's really not an abundance of sellers, which we'll talk about later. But how do I take that buyer and make sure that they have the absolute best experience in our market when, you know, I'm one of 7,500 licensed agents along the Emerald Coast? You know, why would they choose me over somebody else? Is it just the success or is it the experience? And what we've come to find out is, you know, people enjoy your success, but the experience is what keeps them coming and keeps them referring to you every time. Amazing. And, and, and the key, key, key attribute of that origin story for me is the focus on gaining knowledge and gaining experience early in your career and, and really being serious about that, because as you've proven, you can come out of periods like that, just a slingshot, a rocket fuel jet engine to the space, yeah. because you have spent years hustling, studying, kind of staying behind the scenes, staying quiet, no ego, just learning, learning, learning and absorbing, having, you know, complex interactions probably with, you know, HUD sales, short sales. That's how Delroy got in the business as well. And, you know, some of that experience still speaks to how he's a practitioner today. And, you know, that is uh, often such a missed opportunity for agents who, you know, they, they get into the business thinking I'm going to make a quick paycheck or like sell a couple of homes a year. And if I, you know, grab a grab a couple of commissions, it's it's a good supplement to my income versus the, the real, you know, tenacious folks in real estate kind of look at it as obviously career focused, longevity and sustainability focused in their careers and say, I need to gain the maximum amount of knowledge that I can, especially early, because I'm going to be very soon competing and hopefully outperforming my peers who have been doing this a lot longer and have a lot longer of a track record to speak on. Um, and so let's jump into that specifically for a second, Jonathan, because you, you had to flip that. You had to go, all right, I'm 25, I'm 24, you know, and, and I'm, I'm starting to do luxury business. I'm starting to make a name for myself. I'm starting to become, you know, top one, two, three, four, five agent in my community, but I'm young. And I'm competing with people who are probably more legacy brokers with longer track records. You know, how are you able to navigate that as a, as a very young man and, uh, and stand kind of on your own two feet and say, I'm the guy for you? Yeah, well, we were joking earlier about beard or no beard. First <laughs> of all, I had to grow a beard because I had a baby face. I still do. Um, I remember I'd show up to showings and folks would go, did you just come from high school? Like, you know, are, are you are you old enough to even show us his house? And I, <laughs> I use it as an opportunity. I thought it was great. Um, they also thought it was uh, funny that I was showing a HUD house with um, a BMW sports car, which was my first major investment coming out of college. <laughs> but image is everything. And you know, when you come into this business as a young person and somebody wants to talk about your age, that's amazing because it's a talking point. You know, We often look to relate to our clients most of our clients have children, they have grandchildren, they're going to relate to you no matter what your age is, if you're open to it, and you don't look at it as an insecurity, but as an advantage. And so for me, you know, being millennial, especially, you know, I had this ability to communicate instantly. Um, I still do, I pride myself on it. Although um, we can talk about this later, but I've also had to create boundaries 
having a growing family, you know, how do I deliver that same level of service, which, um, you know, we, we can do across many different platforms. Um, but also, you know, the most interesting thing about being young and kind of coming into your own is how do you go from being on a reactive team where we were doing a lot of foreclosure business? I was just feeling phone calls. I mean, they would forward phones to, to me on the weekend and I would have 200 plus phone calls per day. And, you know, half of that was agents and half of that was, you know, inquiries on a multitude of, of inventory. So not only did I get very good at multitasking, but I got very good at being reactive. So I'm answering the phone every day. Um, you know, I'm fielding inquiries on listings that aren't my own. So when I decided that I was going to intentionally focus on the luxury market, because that's what I was most interested in, that's what I knew and understood the best, you know, how, how could I do that in a reactive manner? I can't. So I had to be proactive in my business. So when I shifted from a boutique brokerage in that team environment to an individual agent at Sotheby's International Realty, I remember arriving at my office. Uh, it's funny because they gave me the biggest office in the entire building. Not intentionally, they were about to remodel it and put a bunch of cubicles in there. But at the time, uh, I was able to kind of occupy this, this large space. And I remember kind of sitting down and looking at my phone and, and almost thinking like it was just going to ring on its own. You know, like we just kind of expect some, some type of synergy or energy that, you know, we focus into to, to come back to us, but that didn't happen. And so I remember the first 90 days that, that I shifted from being on the, in that team environment to individual agent, I was extremely nervous. I was extremely hungry and I had to figure out how do I completely shift my mindset, shift my business to adding value proactively. You know, before people were coming to us because I had foreclosure inventory, you know, I had distressed property that could be a great investment. And so I learned to work with investors. I had a Rolodex of investors, but now I don't have the inventory. I no longer controlled it. And so not only that, I'm, I'm trying to focus on luxury inventory. So how could I go into the luxury market coming from a foreclosure sales background and being one of the youngest licensed agents in my market and create value? And so that was the biggest flip of a switch for me in terms of being reactive to proactive. And, you know, part of that is, is just purely prospecting and understanding the market, knowing every single listing, every single buyer that's coming and going, understanding the stories, especially on the high end, you know, why properties trade. Even today, when I go into a listing pitch, I really think the biggest differential between me and my competitor is I can tell a seller exactly why their neighbor's house sold next door and why that house next door sold for more than the one across the street and who the buyer was and where they came from. And those types of um, understandings in the market and, and that level of knowledge, that's something that you can't get from Zillow. You know, you don't get that from, from a quick Google search. You know, there's no rhyme or reason to, to just pure numbers. So understanding um, the inventory, like you said, and having that market knowledge, that allows you to be proactive in the value that you provide your prospective customers. Are there moments like maybe early on where you were like, man, that was that was something that really worked for me in terms of adding value, right? You're, you're in the office, you're thinking about this stuff, you're planning it. It's before you've had a lot of these major sales and some of this momentum in your business where you're getting appointments. Are there anything that stand out from that kind of era? Yeah, I'll tell you what, I became obsessed with the hot sheet. And by obsessed, I mean, it is like if you are a social media user and you've got 10 hours of screen time per day because you're on Facebook or Instagram, 
I had 10 hours of screen time per day because I was on the hot sheet mm -hmm. and I was understanding the hot sheet allows me to know who is coming and going. And not only did I look at one little area of the market, I was looking at my market as a whole, which I've got a fairly large market um, servicing, you know, uh, uh, 60, 70 mile radius um, of inventory. So it's, uh, it's pretty vast and being able to understand every street corner, every type of nuance in the market that allowed me to be positioned for success that when I talked to someone, I was the most intelligent person they were talking to. And that whole baby face thing completely uh, glazed beyond them once they heard words come out of my mouth that they couldn't, that realtors double my age couldn't articulate because they didn't understand. Right. They were just out there, uh, you know, moving inventory, but they weren't really grasping why the inventory was being um, transacted. There's, you know, there, there's two things you've touched on on the youth side of it. There's confidence and there's knowledge, but the knowledge actually gives you the confidence to go in and just say, I, I know what I'm talking about. And, and I, if you can communicate that in an articulate way, you're delivering value regardless of who you're at. It doesn't matter if you meet them at an open house, it's a cold interaction, or if it's someone who's teed up in a referral or you meet at the golf course or whatever, you know, you, you, you are able to deliver that value time and time again, if you are the person that has the knowledge. So that is an awesome, awesome tip. Let's kind of jump gears a little bit and, and go back to kind of like what, uh, what we alluded to, which is today's marketplace. And, uh, you know, coming out of, 2020, most markets are kind of in the same, um, uh, you know, energy, I, I would say across the country, which is a low supply, high demand market and, and price growth throughout the nation is, is reaching record levels as far as how quickly we are appreciating. What are you experiencing down there right now? Yeah, that's, um, you know, <laughs> that's a, a tone that resonates um, really uh, close to home for us. I mean, I believe that our next market crisis across the board is no inventory. So if we think back and I'm, I'm just, you know, my background's in finance. Uh, I love to look at markets from a macro and a micro basis. And I feel like real estate's very micro. So what trades in Denver and the way that things trade and the multiple offer situations don't necessarily translate to Florida, specifically my part of Florida, um, but, you know, when I look at the markets as a whole and I think about um, how folks have hedged themselves from inflation moving into real estate with these low interest rates, uh, the inventory has been absorbed at such a rate that we can't keep up. So I'm looking at the hot sheet because I'm still obsessed with it. And uh, I'm seeing double the amount of absorption than new listings. And this has been a continual thing for the last 12 plus months. Uh, and we know that a lot of this type of absorption is pandemic fueled, especially for us. We have folks that are coming out of large cities looking to be in, um, you know, a, a, a more hedged spot in the event of a government shutdown or, um, you know, a, a lockdown in terms of um, safety. And so being able to retreat safely to a, a specific market has driven our, not only our price points up, but, um, you know, the level of supply down. And right now today, you know, we're looking at less than two months supply of inventory in, a, you know, a very large market. So for me, I'm trying to look at my team and say, look, the hedge for this crisis is inventory. When we're on the phones, we have this oversupply of buyers. And even going back to early stages of my career, 
Um, you know, I always understood that the individual that or team that controls the inventory in the market controls the market. And so I wasn't necessarily buyer focused when I switched from that reactive to proactive basis. I was seller focused. You know, who am I prospecting? Who am I providing value for? It's sellers. And in today's market, even more so than ever, being able to understand and have that level of knowledge to, to appropriately advise a seller throughout this kind of crazy time frame um, is critical. And that's how you're able to even acquire a seller in a market that's so busy that most people, most sellers could just throw their property on Zillow as a for sale by owner, and they're going to start getting inquiries. How do you convince somebody in um, that type of a seller's market that you've got the value to provide them to not only help navigate them through that process, but to get them more money at the the end of the day mm -hmm. and to make it a little bit more enjoyable than it typically is. It's interesting because Stuart, I watch you guys in, in Denver and you know, you're dealing with um, multiple offer situations that may have 25, 30 plus offers on a property. How do you represent a seller and navigate through 25 different prospective buyers to make the best choice? You know, those are the questions that we're asking ourselves today. And that's the type of um, you know, uh, training that I'm trying to go through with my team now uh, to avoid being in a crisis mode. Yeah, and what I'm taking from that is you're you're adapting some of your unique value propositions to the market in real time. What's going yeah. on right now and and how can I solve the challenge or overcome the objection that I'm likely to face when I'm in an appointment prospecting a client, etc. So that's that's brilliant and you know that we could do a whole podcast on how to exactly do that. We'll we'll save that for a rainy day, but you know, two two months of inventory in a um, in in a secondary market that is it's a very very low amount of of, of, of homes. Uh, generally, you know, just to contextualize for for those listening, you know, generally you you see markets more in the four to eight months of inventory range. You know, if they're a secondary market, and uh, and often they can flip to buyers markets. You know, pretty pretty easily. Um, because you know, it, if economic trends kind of shift and the winds change, I mean, all of a sudden a lot of homes sit for longer days on market and we see that in our resort communities as well. Um, but the same, the same switch flipped on up here, as you well know, in the mountain communities where we had, you know, the, they, they went from zero to hero among the pandemic where, you know, no, nothing was going on. And then all of a sudden everyone's buying something up there. So, um, adapting quickly to the market conditions is the skill of a top producing agent. Hands down, it's something that, that becomes, you know, secondhand to you as you start to evolve. But, but as you, you know, when you're starting out, you know, you really need to be studying. And I actually want to go back, kind of boring, but I think very important. How do you look at a hot sheet? Let's just say you're, 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 you're starting your day, you're looking at the hot sheet. Like, what do you key in on, Jonathan? Like, what, what are the things that you're actually looking for? There's many ways you can look at a listing online. But what are you trying to observe and retain from just looking at those listings? I love this question. Um, early in my career, and even through today, I would pull up a hot sheet for the entire market, right? So... Um, where, for instance, in Denver, you may just look at, I, I think it's the Cherry Creek neighborhood, um, and you may filter through that inventory only. Um, in my market, I'm looking at uh, more than just one segment, and I'm filtering top to bottom. So I'm looking at the most expensive properties that are coming on the market, that are pending in the market, and that are closing in the market. 
all at the same time. And what I've learned about filtering top to bottom is there's only a very small segment of homes in the million dollar plus price point that are actually transacting. Um, you know, here it's probably a little bit more skewed uh, in the sense that one part of our market, the average sales price is north of 1.8 million. So, um, you know, we probably see more absorption in the million plus, but that's typically where I'm looking. Um, but I'm also taking that all the way down to zero, right? Like I've got clients who are looking for rentals. Um, I've got customers that are looking for vacant land and, you know, being able to understand every segment of the market. And, and if it's just a quick glance, at least I know what's transacting each day and I can follow it along so that I can intelligently and in real time discuss those types of transactions with prospective buyers and sellers. Love that. Love that. And, and, and however, you know, however you as an agent are approaching your market, you can set up the hot sheet to, to filter in whatever way you want to study the particular subset of homes that you need to. In Denver, it is a little different because generally you're going to have kind of a niched out piece of a, of a wider metropolitan area and keeping up with the entire metro is, is kind of a fool's errand because it's, it's too big and there's too many homes. But, you know, subsetting and really becoming an expert piece by piece by piece is, is attainable for anyone because you have the data. We all have data as a licensed agent. So I'm going to jump gears to something else that you you have certainly done. You work with a lot of developers now. You work with a lot of you know spec homes in the luxury end. Um, you guys just sold, I believe, the Emerald Coast number one highest sale, right? $14 million for Mont Blanc. Do I have that right? It was at the time. It, it was, was already, got, already got beat? Twice. Wow. Yes. What what were those trades? We were, we were very proud. When we put it under contract, um, we, were, we were literally coming out of that beginning part of the pandemic. So if we can think back to March, April um, of last year, you know, there was almost a shock in the market, especially for us. I mean, we almost sat on our hands for two months um, in, you know, a level of quarantine where um, folks weren't able to come and go. For us, uh, it did allow us an opportunity with second homeowners to check on their properties and um, socially distance properly, but also make sure that we're their eyes and ears uh, at a time frame that they couldn't come and visit their, their greatest investments. Um, but for Mont Blanc, our strategy was really unique. Uh, it was um, really, how do, we, how do we bring to market a product that not only will eclipse the market in terms of a sales price, but also eclipses the quality of inventory that we've been able to, to represent here in this area. And um, you know, we tried to time our release of that home, even though we had the listing six months before we ever actually put it on the market, we tried to time the release with that property with the opening of the beaches um, here in this area. And so it was not originally our strategy to do so. We were waiting on the developer to, finish the property and um, knowing that somebody's likely willing to pay the most when they've got immediate use of the home. Um, but, you know, pandemic hit and we had to adapt like we talked about earlier. And so our adaptive strategy for that house was how do we make this most relevant to the buyer profile that we'll purchase? And for us, it was, we need to release this as soon as the beaches open up. And so we released the property in May of 2020 and it was sold by June, July. And um, at the time when we put it under contract, set an absolute record. Um, but what it did was kind of start a domino effect. You know, nobody necessarily wants to be the first in a market history to raise their hand and say, you know what, I'm going to spend the most money in this market. 
right? But we knew that the inventory was evolving towards that um, level of luxury. And, and it still is. I mean, we're uh, pioneering that market right now. We've got multiple other homes that are in development that will rival and surpass that Mont Blanc sale. Um, and what was amazing about being on the forefront of moving the market in that direction is now I can advise developers on how to develop the inventory to fit the needs of the buyer profile that will now be coming to this market, spending that amount of money. I didn't even get around to the question, but it was like you read my mind because where I wanted to go was how do you create a market? Another, and this is way more advanced real estate talk that we're, we're now spitting on, but this is, this is another way in low inventory or restricted inventory marketplaces, especially in the luxury end, that you can con if you can convince developers of a, 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 a niche in the market that you are seeing because you as an agent are the boots on the ground, day in, day out, interacting with the clientele, and you can successfully convince developers to build a certain product that has not been tested before. That could be based on price, that could be based on location, features, amenities, anything. Um, and you hit a mark, you as the agent end up creating a marketplace. Jonathan has done that very successfully uh, where down in Florida. And I, I want you to speak a little bit more on that. Like, how are you guiding your developers and how are you saying, okay, the, these are these are the cues that I'm seeing and this is what we could maybe build, guys. And, and, and look, I, you, you've got to take a shot because at the end of the day, you have the information, but you're not putting your skin in the game. The developer is. And that's a very, very different and more tactful way to approach that conversation. But when you successfully make a market, it's why that it's why the Mont Blanc sale has been uh, successfully bested twice now because you guys did it first. And, and so talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so that's really interesting. I, I do feel like with the developers that I work with, it is still a joint venture especially with time, you know, a property like Mont Blanc, that was a three year experience to take it from concept um, to execution. And, you know, for us really trying to understand how that market shifted during that time frame, what were the most important pieces to a buyer profile that all kind of goes back to market knowledge, right? You know, knowing who's coming and going in the market, who's visiting this area. We look at TDC numbers, which is the Tour Tourism and Development Council, and they publish their numbers each year in terms of where, where are the major influx is coming from. And for us in particular, you know, we're not a metro market by any means. We're uh, a coastal vacation market. And so my buyer profile doesn't live here. Um, they don't spend the majority of their time here, at least they haven't in the past. And so I'm targeting markets much like yours. I mean, I just closed a deal with um, a buyer from Denver that uh, set an absolute record um, on the Gulf of Mexico here. And they were not only excited to get down here on a part-time basis, just to escape some of the winter weather, but that is a new profile for my market. You know, we don't typically get that level of influx from a Denver. Uh, you know, most of those folks will go to Hawaii or um, maybe a, a, a more well-known destination. Um, but when we talk about creating markets, it's seizing those opportunities, seizing just that one buyer from Denver who would set a record in the market and being able to advise them through it. I actually represented the buyer on that deal um, and, you know, making sure they understood what the investment was that they were making and also letting them understand this is where we foresee the market going. Um, I always have a caveat that I don't have a crystal ball, but if I looked at my track record in the past and it was based on where is the affluent buyer migrating, 
that's the best way to make the decision for the future. And for these folks in particular, they were just so excited to get here. Um, you know, they've got young kids and this is a family destination. It's a beautiful beach to enjoy. Um, and it was exciting to welcome them to our market. That's fantastic. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, it all goes back together to this, you know, idea that the, the knowledge and, and now the experience and the rep- repertoire are, are starting to create these opportunities and, and actually make them more tangible. Um, it's where you as an agent at the, at the highest level of the game, uh, like yourself, you're actually, you are actually a catalyst in your market for the change, the attraction of other luxury uh, influence and the change of, of the development cycle in your marketplace. That's when it starts to become super, super exciting. But it's difficult because you have to be the one, you know, understanding all the tentacles of activity that are happening within your marketplace. Um, so you mentioned you've, you've in, and we can, you know, move to kind of wrap up here, but uh, you mentioned you've got several other projects, uh, some some big things on the horizon. The team is at ten now. What are you most excited for in twenty twenty one? What's on the horizon for you and the Spears Group? Well, I think you know being able to continue pioneering the luxury market is exciting. Being able to meet uh, new profiles of customers and introduce them to the area that I grew up in, that I'm passionate about, that I'm raising my family in, um, that's also an exciting prospect. Just to kind of touch real quick and and wrap up on this last thought about pioneering markets, part of my ability to pioneer this market is understanding the markets that my customers coming from. So, you know, we get a major influx from Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas is also very well represented in Beaver Creek, Colorado or Vail, Colorado. Understanding where is my customer going and being able to leverage the network of the Sotheby's International brand has been really uh, valuable to the growth of my business and the ability to foresee you know, what somebody would be willing to spend here based on what they're willing to spend in other markets, uh, especially during this time where safety is an absolute priority. You know, if somebody can hop in their car, they can drive here um, and they foresee themselves doing that and that being their only means of escape from their primary business or primary world. Um, you know, we just see a continue ele- continued elevation in this market because of that. Um, but just going back to, 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 to wrapping up in general, I think that if you're in a market, whether you're in a metro area um, or you're in Florida and, you know, enjoying a thousand people per day moving here, um, you know, it's important to understand where your customers coming from. If you're in Denver Metro and you're working with corporate relocation, you need to understand where those corporations based. Maybe you're working with Walmart, who's relocating people from Bentonville, Arkansas. Bentonville, Arkansas is one of the best feeder markets for my area. So I fly up there. I meet with the the top brokers there. I understand who are these people? Why are they coming? What are they doing? And um, making sure that I'm positioned to service them at the highest level. Those are the ways that my team's going to continue to to pioneer this market. And that would be my greatest advice to somebody who's looking to grow their footprint and expand their footprint in the current market that they're working in. That's terrific. That's awesome. And uh, a lot of great nuggets of wisdom that you guys can take from today's episode. Um, Jonathan, where can people find you if they want to, to search you? Yeah, so Instagram, Spears Group, uh, that's the first spot. We, um, we're very active on social media. We're trying to be like Stuart and Delroy, who are the kings. Um, but we're also available on SpearsGroupFL.com. 
So we always post blog content um, and just the latest and greatest about our team and the market. These guys do a terrific job on social and their website is killer. Um, definitely, you'll see exactly why Jonathan is number one by just following up on on those two channels. And uh, and we appreciate your time, Jonathan. I think today was was not only fun, but very, 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 you know, chalk filled with with lots of, of great information that you can take away. So we really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, guys, I told you. I told you to grab a notebook, and I'm sure you filled that thing front to back. Uh, Jonathan, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. And again, if you found value out of this podcast or out of the Agent Daily Dose platform, we would love it if you would share it with someone you know who would also find value too. Until next time, remember we are on every Monday and every Thursday. We drop at 3 a.m. Eastern time, and we will be here for you sharing other tips, insights, having other guests, and having a good old time. Cheers, guys. Thank you for tuning in.